everybody. Welcome to Dr. Podcast. Appreciate y'all being here and uh, do give us a little nod towards the people that help support us. We can do the show and uh, don't forget the streaming show, which is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three o'clock Pacific and still out there with Adam three days a week. Hard to believe. Uh, yeah. Check it all at Dr.com and Dr.TV. We can get a blast for the streaming show. Uh, check us out on Rumble too. We're over there quite a bit. Today, my guest is Mike Posner. Uh, Posner, I think I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, he's a a pop star who has been very forthcoming about his mental health issues, anxiety, depression, something I can relate to. And uh, after multiple top 10 hits, he took a break to walk across America and climb Mount Everest. Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So just, I'll leave it to you. Tell me your, tell me your life story. Start at the beginning. I was born in 1988 uh, to two Detroiters in Detroit. I started making music when I was about eight years old, writing my own music and just fell in love with it. That's crazy. And uh, fast forward to kind of give you the cliff notes here. (laughs) Well, let's, let me, let me, let's not cliff notes. What what kind of family did your parents stay together? Would your parents do for a living? What, tell me more about that. Yeah. My father was a criminal defense attorney in Detroit for close to 40 years before he passed away uh, six years ago. Um, And my mother was a pharmacist. Um, so they met, they met in Detroit and, uh, I was raised in a, in a, a beautiful, uh, area called Southfield, Michigan, um, is incredibly diverse ethnically and socioeconomically. And it's really a cool place to grow up. I had a lot of boys on my street, my age, you know, we playing basketball all day. You just go next door and knock on their door and, <laughs> and say, oh, is David home or is Marcus home? And so I I, I had a very, uh, a cool, cool neighborhood I grew up in for sure. And what instrument were you playing when you started writing music? That's so incredible to me. When I started writing music, I was rapping. So I was essentially writing raps. Um, my first instrument was the drums. I started around the same time. Um, I started to make my own beats, which is essentially the music that goes behind rap music. Yeah. I started to produce that when I was 13 on my mom's computer. I like figured out how to steal some software off the internet and um, was, was starting to just put stuff together. And um, I just fell in love with it. I, I knew I would do it the rest of my life, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really believe I could, have a career doing it that came from meeting my friend big sean how how old are you at that point at that point i'm 18 and my mother said to me i I had uh gotten into college and um it was the end of my senior year and so i had a few few months before college started and she said you know you you know you're not going to like sit in this house all summer, you know, you're <laughs> gonna, gonna work. So I got online, I found a job. Uh, I found that there was a job opening at um, the hip hop radio station in Detroit. And so I got my, my skinny, skinny butt down there and put a button up shirt on and apply mm-hmm. for the job. And there's like a line out the door of applicants and uh, God must have his eye on me that day. I got the job. And when I got the job, I was interning at this radio station. I was folding T-shirts and, um, you know, just just doing, doing odd jobs. Yeah, yeah, whatever they wanted me to do and um, getting coffee with people. And I, I became friendly with this other intern. His name was Patrick. And Patrick was best friends with this with this man named, a young man. He was my age, 18, also named, named Sean. And he told me, Sean, Sean is about to get signed by Kanye West. Hmm. And I'm like, kind of don't believe him, you know, we're just like, <laughs> sure he is. <laughs> we're in, we're in Detroit, you know, I mean? it's like, this stuff doesn't like happen that way. And lo and behold, I met Sean and he, he had, he indeed had a relationship with Kanye West and um, it hadn't materialized into a record deal quite yet. Um, but I, I formed a relationship with Sean and I then went off to college at Duke University. Sean, though he had a scholarship to Michigan State, didn't go because Kanye told him, you don't need to go. Oh, my God. And, how did they, how uh, did they meet? 
they met at the same radio station, I think like a year before Kanye came to do an interview and Sean just kind of pulled up on him and Mm. rapped for him and he liked it. So it was kind of just this, this wild story. And fast forward a year or two, Drew, I'm at college at Duke university and, and Sean actually does get a record deal. And something flipped in my mind when that happened, which was this, this life of being a professional recording artist always seemed a million miles away. That seemed like impossible, like Mm -hmm. something that doesn't happen to people like me. Mm. But suddenly like one of my good friends who I felt like I was as good as, you know, Mm -hmm. at least in the same ballpark. Just guessing. Well, we, we rapped together. We made music together at that point. So like, and I, what are you I, studying at Duke at the time? I studied, um, sociology. Hmm. I mean, and, no, no BS. You must've worked hard to get into school at that point. I worked hard to get into school. And then while I was there, my music became more and more popular and my studies became, I mean, more and more important. And my studies became a little less important as my mm-hmm. career career went on. But, but all that to say, Sean, Sean, just by living his life, changed what I thought was actually possible for mine. And when he got the record deal, I was at Duke, and I I just knew I was going to get one too. I just knew. Huh. And That's uh, isn't it? The kind of knowing that people, young people, have sometimes. Yeah, and then and then it was crazy, Drew. Once the shift happened in my mind, it happened in reality within eight months. Um, I put, started putting music out on, it was MySpace at the time. And I utilized this thing called iTunes. U. it was like a <laughs> little, little, like a loophole in the system. And, um, suddenly like I would always stay in at night and other kids would go party, but that was the one time I could record my vocals because it was quiet because they were all gone. Oh, that's fine. So, and, but, but as the year kids start coming back from the party, they go, dude, they're playing your song at the party. And everyone oh, wow. knows the words. Oh my I God. Go, that's that's crazy. crazy. It was crazy. And then um, I started to catch the attention of record labels. And this sort of culminated the finals week of my, of my junior year. Um, I got a call and from my manager and he said, um, Jay-Z wants to meet you. Yeah. And I'm like, hey man, don't mess with me. You know, <laughs> I got, I got, I got to study. I got finals week. He goes, oh, I'm not messing with you. He, he, he wants to meet you, and so you got to go to New York. And I didn't think it was actually going to happen. I thought I would get there, and you know, and he passed. So, anyways, I, I fly to New York during finals week, junior year, and um, I wait in a in a like green room for a while, and then I go into Jay Z's. Where, where are you at that point? I'm in New York City. I fly. I mean, where? What? Where? Where do they want to meet with you? I'm just curious. Oh, at his office. Okay. Yeah, his office, and uh, we had a great meeting with Jay Z. It was like two hours long, and and uh, I went back to Duke, and I'm working on a on a paper, a final paper, and um, I get an email, and it's an offer for a record deal from Jeez. Rock Nation. Now, needless to say, I was a little distracted trying to finish that paper, you know, uh, and, uh, and uh, probably didn't put in my best work. And um, that summer, I, I did a record deal. I ended up not doing it with Jay-Z. But I did it with RCA. Hmm. And um, and that was sort of the beginning of my career. Um, but it, when I look back on it, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I was harnessing the power of um, my mind, my imagination, and my belief. And once I actually believed in what I was capable of, my once I believed the record deal was possible, that showed up in my reality. Mm. And when I thought it wasn't possible, it didn't show up in my reality. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, right? Yeah. And, and so now you here you are, you're having a successful career. When does the mood problem kick in? Well, you know, I, 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 I balked a little bit at your intro. You know, I don't, here's the thing, man. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, I get attached to that a lot. I don't consider myself depressed. I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I would never attach those terms to myself. Mm. But what I will tell you is that after I achieved 
an incredible amount of success at a very young age. And I had everything I thought one could ever want and had checked every box that I thought would lead to happiness. Mm. Um, that was fame. That was an enormous amount of attention from the opposite sex. That was money. Um, I mean, Drew, I would, I would walk onto a stage and people wouldn't clap for me. They would scream. Mm -hmm. People would scream. And, and I would, without even me singing a note. And did you like would, that or did you feel like an imposter or what was the feeling like? I loved it, loved you it. know, okay. but, but what I noticed was like many people in our society, I have put uh, my happiness in the future. And for me, it was like, when I get these things, I'll feel better. Yeah. I'll feel whole. Yeah. I'll feel happy. And I got all of them. I was very effective at getting them. <laughs> and what I noticed was, yeah, of course, you get a little pop, a little dopamine hit when you go on the stage. I mean, performing's awesome. But I'd go back in the green room. People would continue to tell me how great I was. I'd get to the hotel after the show and I'd be alone. And what I noticed was my moment to moment experience of life really had not changed. Mm. I was no happier. Um, I wasn't really sadder. I just, I felt the same. But uh, along with that uh, sameness came a disillusionment because all of the things I thought were going to make me happier, I no longer could put in front of myself because they had come true and they didn't work. And so that set me off on a journey to ask a question. And it's a, a, a question that I'm privileged to ask, which is, if that, if it's not that, if it's not worldly success, attention from the opposite sex, fame, money, then what? And I've lived the last 10 years of my life asking that question. And it's been wonderful to stumble upon some answers that have made a difference for me. And so, you know, I don't, I don't struggle with mental health. I, I, uh, I found some things that work for me, you know? You've heard me talk about Biotic Quest and their new product, Sugar Shift Probiotic. Navigating probiotics can be overwhelming with Biotic Quest Sugar Shift. They make it easy. What makes Sugar Shift different is it's a powerhouse. It doesn't just restore balance to the gut microbiome. It addresses things like regularity, helps curb maybe some sugar cravings, hopefully, and uh, thereby stabilizing blood sugars. If you want to know how it works, Sugar Shift converts glucose and fructose in the gut into a prebiotic mannitol. It's a free radical scavenger that promotes a more diverse microbiome. With eight probiotic strains not found in other probiotics, this patented formula is changing the probiotic standards. Biotic Quest's groundbreaking patented formula speaks volumes about the metabolic engine of the gut. Forget the basic probiotics. You need the right one. And here's an exciting piece of news. You can get a 15% discount off the first three months of your Sugar Shift subscription with my promo code DREW15. While results may vary, clinical trial results indicate that best results come at three months and beyond. Take charge at B-I-O-T-I-Q-U-E-S-T dot com with code DREW15. So t tell me what the feeling was. So you came back to the, uh, you said you came back to your hotel room and it, it was. Yeah. Drew, not only do I not struggle, I am the happiest I've ever been. Well, but I think that's yeah. what we're really talking about here is not how to manage depression, anxiety, but how to find uh, happiness. I, th I think that's kind of the direction this conversation is going to go. But, All right. But I do want to, yeah, but I do want to kind of zero in on what it was you were feeling uh, because I think it's a healthy thing to, you know, it's very, very healthy to realize, oh, this is all bullshit. This is just whatever. This is my job. But some people yeah. still like it enough and they they dig it that it's satisfying. So going home and being alone is sort of almost a relief so they can go back out and do their job again. But yeah. you found the whole thing sort of tedious, it sounds like. At times, for sure. It, but like, it wasn't the job itself. It's really easy to, to, to look at my story and go, oh, being famous made him upset. No, no, I could have had any job. Yeah. I could have had any job. 
But the problem was I was trying to use the job and I have a wonderful job, man. Like I create art. I take pain and suffering and make works of art that make a difference in people's lives. Like mm. I love what I do. Mm-hmm. And that's only one facet of what I do. But it's a wonderful job. The problem was I was trying to use the job to create some sort of piece that a job can't give you. Right, right. A, a sort of a fulfillment that can only come from actually being present and loving oneself at a deeper level. And so you know, uh, that journey, what, what, what were the first steps? What'd you do? Well, man, the first steps was I kind of bounced around for a while in pain, <laughs> like and confusion. And when I look back at my life, um, and I want to include this, this point, you know, briefly, all of my biggest breakthroughs in different areas of life, financially or artistically or physically or spiritually, they all came directly out of real challenges, real moments of pain. Mm. Um, and so it's easy to look at the, the um, highlights, which for me is like I did. I walked across this continent, North America, in 2019. But the truth is that it, it, there was a lot of um, momentum that built up to that. Yeah. And and some pain as well, um, directly preceding my decision to to walk across the United States. Um, my father died a year or two before that. How, how old are you at that point? How old are you at that point? I'm 29 at that point yeah. when when dad transitioned out. And and then uh, a contemporary of mine, a friend of mine named Avicii, who was a wonderful um producer and artist he 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 died and at that point and i had another friend of mine that was thankfully still with us but he was sort of knocking on the door with his substance abuse problems Uh and i went from i went from thinking like oh man you hear about john belushi and all that stuff like that was in the past and then i'm looking like wow this is this this is pretty crazy. Like a lot of, a lot of my buddies are, are passing away and there's nothing like a little bit of death to put your life in perspective. Right. To, you know, sort of and straighten I, out, re, you know, put things into focus. Priorities correct. Focus very correct. And I, I think there's two types of sadness too. There's sadness that cripples and there's sadness that clarifies. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I remember the day Avicii died. I was standing in my kitchen. My assistant at the time said, Avicii's dead. I didn't believe him. And I felt the sadness, but I didn't feel the sadness that crippled. If I felt the sadness that clarified. Mm. And the only thing in my head was, I got to walk across America. I got to walk what, across what did, America. What did it, had you been thinking about that before? Or what, yes. What? Yes. So uh, it would be helpful for me to give you some context. It was a dream of mine that I put on the back burner. It was, it was something I was going to do next year, next year, next year. And, and, and it had been five years since I initially had the idea and um, there was never a right time. And there was always an album I needed to finish or a tour I needed to go on to support the album. And Avicii died. I just realized like, it's never going to be a right time. No one's going to roll out a fucking red carpet for you and say, hey, buddy, here's the time for you to go. In fact, people are going to roll out red carpets of reasons for you not to go. For sure. You're going to cause irreparable damage to your body. You're going to ruin your career. This well, beautiful plus thing, all the people you make money for are pissed. They, they come back hard. That's what I've found when I treat people in your business. They just... They they're driven back to the the road. Like no no I got I got I got a gig I got a gig I got a pair I got this I correct got yeah. correct yeah and and thirdly I didn't know if I could actually do it mm. so maybe I'm gonna try this thing I'm gonna fail in front of everybody and I realized like dad is dead Avicii's dead my buddy Ronnie died also and it's like I'm gonna die also one day hopefully not soon but I'm also gonna die and you're either gonna do this thing. You're going to do this walk and and start to live your life and become who deep down you know who you are or 
you're going to, you're going to die. Uh, not that you're going to die today. You're not going to die the same death that Avicii died or Ronnie died, but you're going to die a much sadder death, which is the death of your potential, the death of the dream, the, your dreams, the death of the life that you're called to. And you're going to die inside. Your body's still going to be breathing. Your mouth's going to still be making noise, but you're just going to be playing in the little sandbox of West Hollywood, making, making, doing stuff you already know you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe you'll have a little nicer car in two years than you have now, but it, it, it'll just be like, you'll know deep down that you never lived the life you were supposed to. And so for me, like people would say, you know, why did you do this? Like, was it just a cool adventure? So, no, this, this was everything. Hmm. This was a now or never. This was this year. You're going to do it or, or, or just quit fucking talking about it. And, 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 and just live your little life. I, I so didn't quite I, get get a clear sense on again what where you started thinking about this and why this was important to you. Why walking across? Yeah. America? Why not? Well, driving across America. What 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 was in your head? Sure. It, and I I didn't include it. I think probably because I don't categorize that moment as important. And mm. I'll tell you why. I, I heard about someone else doing the doing the walk in my friend's shop in Venice beach. And I was just like a tractor beam drawn to that idea. And I immediately said, I want to do that. And, and it was, it was but, not like, you know, um, what's the movie with uh, Tom Hanks. I'm reruns. Uh, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. And I do remember there was a guy that watched across. He wasn't a, a was, if, this is a faint memory, but was it a veteran? He was raising veterans awareness for veterans issues or something. Yeah, well, I'm not sure exactly who you're referring to. They they estimate about 10 to 15 people do it each year. So okay. less people have walked across America to climb Mount Everest. Um, and, and is there a particular route you immediately thought about, or or is there a route that everybody? No, this is or? this is why I wanted wanted to make this distinction. That moment when I had the idea, I heard 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 about this. It was unimportant because it was a fantasy. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But it was where it's where I get where it started from. But when it you started to percolate, it's important yeah. for our narrative, but yeah. it's unimportant in the sense that no one cares if you have an idea and you're going to do something one day. It doesn't matter. And your your spirit doesn't even care. Well, the delta I, between the delta between knowing you have the potential to doing something, to do something and doing it. The rewards that come from doing it are monumental. The the reason I push on it a little bit is moments of change are something very interesting to me. And they tend to happen. Boom. They tend to happen like that. Uh, And and they just, you go from this direction to that direction all of a sudden. And I'm just fast. And what I have found and you, and I don't know if there's even a moment of change for you when you started thinking about this. Uh, the change, the moment of change may actually have come later. And then this thing sort of fell in as part of that. But um, I have noticed that when people make change, it's usually because they've made some significant relationships with the kind of people, different sorts of people, like different than they normally hang with. Was that happening to you or was it strictly the confrontation of death or was it both? Uh, no, I found that I was, actually thrust into a new community after I made the decision. Mm. Um, but yeah, the decision, the important moment that was, was later was, was not when I first heard about it, Yeah, but it was later. And so for me, the walk meant freedom. It meant liberation. It meant stepping in. It meant taking sovereignty back over my own life. So a friend of me, friend of mine said, Mike, you're going to give up like a year of your life to do this walk across America. I took a deep breath. I thought about what he said. You're going to give up a year of your life. I looked at him and I said, no, I'm taking a year back. Yeah. You're going to live a year. Yeah. I'm taking a year back. I get it. And and so it's just so, it was so poignant. And to answer your question about the the surrounding myself with different people, mm. not really. I was so tired 
I was so fed up of having the same conversations about hanging with artists in the studio and they're talking about which famous women they've slept with, like they're collecting baseball cards or something. I'm like, this is, this can't be my life. This can't be it. And, and while my circumstances of being a a pop star and being nominated for Grammys are, are quite um, unusual and not universal, the feeling of looking in the mirror in your adulthood and, 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 and being overwhelmed by the emotion of, this can't be it. Mm. It's got to be more than this. That's very universal. For sure. And, but but I'm, I'm still want to drill further into this, this evolution of change. Because, you know, it, sure. I don't to push on it so hard. But people, No, you're fine. You could push on me all day. All right. Okay. Cause, cause <laughs> the reason I'm doing it is not, is not you, but other people. Because everybody wants you. to change something. And yeah. nobody seems to do it ever. And Correct. you did it, number one. And number two, I've looked at people that do make big change. And I and I find it, it's not, you know, it's not cognitive so much. It's not, I need to make a change. And then you do it. There's a lot of things that come in that that almost change your perspective on things. So you're able to not just make the change, but sustain the change. Yeah. And so, so people, different kinds of people, that's one thing I've noticed or sort of seeing your, the way I would characterize the whole thing when people really change, I would call it seeing yourself through a new pair of glasses. Did something like that happen to you where you saw yourself or saw your life or saw something differently and you kind of couldn't get away from it and it, it sort of made you change a little bit? Well, it's really interesting because both of these things, I actually, I actually identify as rewards from doing it. So they came after what I noticed was, okay, I, I, once I made the decision to go walk, everyone from my old life is like, this is unbelievable. This is incredible. I can't believe you're doing this. Mm. But then all these, uh, I met all these people that were running and walking across America. We somehow found each other. So I got like six people in my phone that are all tougher than me. <laughs> and so now I'm in the, now I'm in the new community, but it was after I made the decision. Okay. And Seeing myself in the new new light, yeah, that a little bit before I started to ask the question, like, what if I could actually pull this off? Mm. You know, it's like it, it, it. I got so tired of listening to podcasts mm. and watching documentaries that inspired me. Mm. I got so sick of being inspired. Mm-hmm. I wanted to become inspiring. Yeah, yeah. Not to you, not to my fans, not to my mom, not to my buddies, to me. I wanted to say, if someone said, Mike, who's your hero? I wanted to be able to say, I'm my hero. If I heard about some dude that got nominated for a Grammy, they had hit songs, and then what was their next move? They walked across the continent of North America. I would think, that guy is awesome. So I should feel that way about myself. That's how I should feel about myself. I am awesome. And so I dreamt about that in a fantasy way. Like if I did this, wow, like that would really, that would probably change my frame of myself. But even that was a projection. And it was doing it. It was doing it. It wasn't, it wasn't something before when I did it every day, I thought, what like I didn't recognize myself when I finished. I, I was so soft when I started this. Now, now I'm like, I want to climb Mount Everest when I finish this walk. And not under a delusion. A lot of people climb Mount Everest under a delusion that they're not gonna have to prepare, that they could just show up. I I I said. I want to do this and climbing my Everest is going to be the hardest thing I do in my life. And for me to go from not never holding an ice axe and wearing crampons to belonging there, because I didn't want to just show up. I want to belong there. Yeah. It's going to be nothing but pain, sweat, discomfort, tears, sleep deprivation, you name it. But I looked around at who I had become from doing this walk. I go, that's what I do now. I do hard stuff. And so this is going to be even harder, but I know I like I can do it. And so it completely blew up, blew open the the box of 
what I thought Mike Posner was. Gee, Defy, you've heard me talk about these guys. I'm wearing their shoes right now, literally right now. It isn't just about their shock-absorbing quality. It's like the shoes are giving you almost like a massage. They fit perfectly and just hold the shoe. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's G-Defy, G-D-E-F-Y. They're on a mission to boost the biomechanics of how a shoe works. Others might be, um, you know, spending a lot of time on marketing. G-Defy is in the business of creating miracles. It's not just a shoe. It's an immersive experience. You want to be part of this revolutionary journey. G-Defy doesn't pour millions into the celebrity and athletic endorsements. They put the money into the shoe. Their investment is channeled into the foundational construction of that shoe. But don't take my word for it. Explore the multitude of reviews and testimonials from ordinary individuals who can attest to the impact that G-Defy shoes has had on their lives. Available on the G-Defy website and social media platforms. Visit G-Defy, that's G-D-E-F-Y, G-Defy.com, because your feet deserve more than just another pair of shoes. And here's a little extra for our listeners. Use the discount code DREW30 for an exclusive $30 off orders of $150 or more. That's right, a little gift from G-Defy to your feet. Visit G-D-E-F-Y, G-Defy.com for $30 off $150 or more with code DREW30. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with the investigator who solved a serial killer case that had gone cold for decades. There was a definite spike in serial predator crime in the 1970s. Joe D'Angelo was a full-time law enforcement officer. He's breaking into houses in the middle of the night, raping women or girls that are home alone that he's binding up and sexually assaulting. He ended up committing 50 of these attacks in Northern California between 1976 and 1979 and just disappeared. The last thing I did in my career before I retired was I drove up and parked in front of his house. I didn't know he was a Golden State killer, but I debated, should I just go knock on his door? This was such a brazen, brutal predator. He absolutely had to be caught. To learn more about how Paul Holes puts himself inside the minds of serial killers, check out episode 725 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. Let's talk a little bit more about the, the, the first challenges when you're walking across the country, because one of the things I worry about is people, we in this country don't we we reject misery it's like we won't we won't have it you know and while misery and challenges is what caused growth absolutely so when i say that what, what were the challenges that sort of i i'd love to know you know what the initial ones were because i'm guessing those were the bigger ones because you got used to it after a while um, yeah. and then how did you sustain through them and then what do you learn from them absolutely so and this is where commitment and integrity come in mm. When one makes a commitment, why are you making a commitment? It's because you know, at some point during the process of whatever journey you're embarking upon, whether that's marriage or an expedition like I was on, there's going to be a point during this journey where I want to quit. Mm -hmm. So I'm making a decision beforehand, which is a commitment that says, when I feel that, I am not going to quit. I am pre-deciding I'm not going to quit. And so you asked me about the challenges on the walk. Um, the challenges were all the greatest gifts. They were why I was out there. They were why I was I wanted to feel them and then decide not to quit, to decide to keep going. So um, I remember this moment like... <laughs> <laughs> a few weeks into the journey thinking like, hey, man, this isn't so bad. You know, this isn't so bad. I'm like in middle Pennsylvania. I started in New Jersey. And I'm like, this is actually like kind of, e- this is like kind of fun, kind of easy. And I'm, and I'm laughing now because of how naive I was. Mm. By the time I got to Ohio, I'd wake up, first off, waking up. Uh, I walked in summer. So it's not like you just roll out of bed where you want. My alarm went off at four every day and I needed to be moving by five, five fifteen at the latest. 
and people say, hey, was there a day that you just didn't feel like doing it? I'm like, every day, <laughs> every day. There wasn't one day where the alarm <laughs> went off where I thought, I want to get out of bed and walk for 12 hours. No, I thought I want to sleep. That's what I thought every single day. But I knew, and some of these guys that I was in touch with, I knew I couldn't crack open the door of failure. Were, were you See, on a schedule of some type? Yeah, schedule every day. Uh, uh, well, the big thing is you got the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, You got the Rocky Mountains, and they're, they're about two-thirds of the way through, and you don't want to be there when it's cold. Ah, so there's a, there's a schedule built into the seasons of this. Got thing. it. Got it. And, um, and so, <laughs> like, I realized that these thoughts, like, just sleep more. That was failure knocking at my door. Mm. And I knew I was not strong enough to crack open that door even a little bit. Like, and, and maybe this caused my body, maybe I made it harder, but mentally, this is how I had to do it. So how many times did I hit snooze? Zero times. Yeah. Because I knew if I hit snooze, then that I cracked open the door to failure. And yeah. then the next thought would be, you know what? You've walked 24 miles every day this month, six days a week. Let me stay in integrity. I walk six days a week. You walk, you walk 24 miles a day, every day, except your rest days. Well, maybe just do 20 today. You, it, it, it won't matter if you finish one day later. Okay, now I'm walking 20 miles. Now I'm walking 20 miles. Now the door's cracked open a little more. Yeah, yeah, won't ma- Maybe you could take an extra day off. Now crack- door's cracked open a little more. Now okay. failure, failure's got its foot in the door. And now, maybe you could just get on a bike. <laughs> and I knew, if I, I knew if, I, if, I, if I, my butt ever got on the seat of a bike, then it was going to be on the seat of my couch very soon after that. Mm. And so I would, I, not because I'm strong did I never hit snooze because I'm weak. I knew I knew I couldn't crack that open even a little bit. I, I know so, also you're you're practicing rigorous honesty. When when did that kick in? That kicked in before. Uh uh I got that from the landmark forum. I did the mm. landmark forum. Gosh, I don't know when I did that, but I got the gift of integrity from that. You know, and that was that was you know, if 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 you my whole life was five minutes late. You know, if it's you tell your buddies you're going to be there at six and you're there at 615, then when you have a big dream, like, hey, I'm going to walk across the U.S., you say I'm going to do it. You don't even believe yourself because you can't show up to dinner on time. So How, long, know, it's like, how long before you started thinking about walking across country was the landmark experience? I pr- probably four or five years. Okay. I had to guess. Yeah. So that's why I say, you know, you, you said, how do you make a change? I say. The truth is these experiences build. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of experiences that built up experiences of discipline that built up to doing the walk. But, but we got to talk about something. So here we are. (laughs) And and so that was a big challenge and it hurt when I got to, it hurt. I'd wake up and I would struggle to stand up in the morning. Because my, it, 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 I was so, it just hurt every muscle hurt. Like my feet were in incredible pain, mm. incredible, incredible pain. And it was sort of like, I'd wake up like a machine that hadn't been oiled. And when, so I'd start to move and I would loosen up, but like, I felt like an old, old, like man. And the thing that was mentally challenging about that was it was very unclear whether this damage that I was doing was permanent or impermanent. Yeah, right. So or whether that was, it would disable you from going further. Correct. So it was a yeah. mental challenge. And I feel, and I'm like in Ohio, I'm thinking my mind wants to spin, spin with the, you, you got the raw data, which is pain. Yeah. And then the mind wants to, wants to make stories out of that raw data, the raw mm-hmm. sensations. Mm-hmm. And so it's telling me things like, dude, you're not even halfway. So do the math. If you hurt this bad now, imagine how bad you're going to hurt in two months. Yeah. And what if you fail in front of every, so it's doing this whole thing. So I, I had to learn to separate pain from suffering. Uh. Pain is part of life. We all feel pain. 
It's, it's raw data. Our stories about the pain, that suffering, that is not mandatory. And so I learned to separate those two things. And I drew on another experience I had before the walk, which was a Vipassana meditation retreat. That helped me a lot because it helped me make those two things distinct. Um, but probably the biggest challenge I faced, which was, you know, in the end, the biggest gift was um, about two thirds of the way through the journey. I was in eastern Colorado and uh, I'd walked 16 miles that day. I was just finishing up from a break. Um where two two fans had showed up to walk with me that day, a wonderful man named John. And um, I was really tired that day. I was really tired that day, man. August is hot. Another like funny this aside, I'll I'll resume this story, but I never knew the difference between June, July, and August. <laughs> they were all summer to me. Yeah, yeah. Hey, when I did this project, June. June is nice. Yes, yes. July is hot. August is hot. I mean, Brutal. Yeah. They're a lot different. Anyway, so I'm 16 miles into this day. I've walked 1,797 miles since my first step out of the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean, excuse me. And I can just see the Rocky Mountains in the horizon. You can't imagine the feeling to see the Rocky Mountains and know that you got there on foot. Mm. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. And so I'm tired this day. It's August 8th. I haven't been sleeping and I'm, I'm finishing this break. I'm, I got 16. I'm getting ready to go back for another eight. And ah, this pain shoots up my leg. And I'm like, what the heck was that? Something bit me. And I had this thought like, what what was that? And as soon as I have that thought, I hear a sound I don't want to hear. And that's and I realized that a poisonous rattlesnake had just oh my bit God. my left ankle. Wow. Crazy. So I'm kind of joking around. The guys around me are 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 are, are noticeably nervous, but it the bite itself hurt but not worse than my feet hurt you know so I'm yeah, like, that's the, that's not the problem <laughs> exactly i was a naive right you know so um, they're running around i'm in the middle of nowhere i'm between la junta and walsenberg on colorado 10 you can find that on the map and there's like no one there it's not a gas how, how big a snake was it it was a baby snake which they say is worse because they don't yes. regulate the venom the, the babies venom. are sometimes worse yeah i didn't see it though i never yeah. saw it I just, I don't know if I scared it or stepped on it. But so anyways, they're running around. They, they, we have no service. So they run up the road and they get 911 on the phone. And they, I said, let me, I realized like, this is guy I just met today. He's, he's my middleman between my, I'm like, wow. let me talk, let me talk to, let me talk to uh dispatch. So I speak to dispatch. He said, I sent an ambulance from, La Hunta, another one from Walsenburg, two ambulances and a, and a chopper. And she oh, said, whatever, what, whichever one gets there first, get in. Yeah. I said, okay. And I, at this point, the, the venom, I guess it started to go through me. Yes. And it was, it felt like Looney Tunes darkness started to creep in from the edges of my yeah. awareness and, yeah, yeah. and I would go away and I felt like I was fading out and I'd sort of wake up. And I realized, you know, this is, this is not a bee sting, you know, yeah. this, this is serious. And so I asked her, I said, am I going to die? And she said to me, I don't know, sir. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and I'm waiting for his ambulance to come and, or his chopper. And eventually the ambulance got there first. And I got in there and I'm, I'm realizing like, you know, this would be the last few hours of my life. Hopefully not, but it could be. And if if these indeed are the last few hours of my life, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to squander them by worrying about if they're the last few hours of my life or not. Mm -hmm. The last few hours of my life, I want to spend in peace, appreciation, and gratitude, not anxiety and worry. 
And so once I made that decision, I, all the colors started seeing. I'm in the back of this ambulance and I'm looking at this, some green paint on the ambulance store. I'm like, wow, look how vibrant that green is. I'm appreciating all the colors. And of course, the, this is what we should always be doing because we're all about to die. You know, we're all, this, this is a return trip, you know, and that was a gift that I got from the snake bite. Shopify, I think now everyone's heard of Shopify. They are the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage. Everyone uses Shopify now. They help you turn browsers into buyers Sell more with less effort thanks to the Shopify Magic, the AI-powered all-star. And if you're doing any online distribution, you're using Shopify. They power 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind many brands you've heard. And the award-winning help is, of course, there to support your success every step of the way. In fact, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash drew, all lowercase. Go to shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y, shopify.com slash D-R-E-W now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash drew. Sometime in the early 80s, REO Speedwagon's airplane made an unannounced middle-of-the-night landing. This is my friend Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks. And he's telling me about how he discovered a real-life Twin Peaks in rural North Carolina, not far from where he filmed Blue Velvet. What was on the plane was copious amounts of drugs coming in from South America. Supposedly, Pablo Escobar went looking for other spots, quiet, out-of-the-way places to bring in his cocaine. My name is Joshua Davis, and I'm an investigative reporter. Kyle and I talk all the time about the strange things we come across, but nothing was quite as strange as what we found in Varnumtown, North Carolina. There's crooked cops, brother against brother. Everyone's got a story to tell, but does the truth even exist? Welcome to Varnumtown. Varnumtown is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Did they have antivenom to give you in the ambulance or did you have to get to the hospital first? They didn't have it in the ambulance. And, and mind you, the, these gentlemen that picked me up, they're not like professional paramedics. They're volunteers, right? Wow. They're like the town. Like I'm in small, I'm in rural America. So, And yet that you were in an area that they have some experience with rattlesnake bites at least. Yes. I found out actually, if you look <laughs> on the map, I have found this out later. The area I was in is called rattlesnake butte so i'm like i should have been maybe done a little (laughs) more homework (laughs) yeah and uh so i'm talking to these gentlemen i asked them i actually i'm very grateful i was as lucid as i was i said hey the hospital we're going do they have antivin because time is of the essence yeah 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 and uh they said we don't know i said well ask them yeah right now that has it yeah (laughs) or don't yeah, or don't take me there. Yeah. So they radio and they go, yeah, you got it. So I get to this smaller regional hospital called in La Junta. And I, once they wheel me in, I, I disappear again. Yeah. You know, I, I go away. And I come back to and They're taking my blood, send it to poison control. And they, they give me 20 vials of antivenin. That's a lot. Yeah. And, and this is all being decided by poison controls, looking at your blood levels. And, yeah. and so... The doctor comes in and goes, look, uh, they might tell you that you need more, um, but we don't have any more. So we're going to send you to, uh, we're going to send you to um, Pueblo. So then they airlifted me to Pueblo. I spent five nights in the, three nights in the ICU, five nights in the hospital. And by this time, like my leg is jacked up, man. Swollen. It's swollen. I can't, I'm using a walker and I'm doing, having to do pee. And I, I have, I go home. I go home. And this is a funny thing that this is the greatest actually actual challenge of the snake bite. I go home and I am getting a mass amount of attention. I'm on uh, like all the national news channels have are picking up this story. 
Um, and all my heroes are like messaging me on Instagram, John Mayer, David Gog, all these people I look up to that I listened to when I was a kid, they're all sending me love and um, condolences. My family is flying in to cook for me and take care of me. And I'm doing the When you say home, where, where, was it Detroit or where somewhere Mich- else? Yeah, Michigan. Okay. Michigan. And, and now, like, I'm not in the heat. I'm in air conditioning. I'm eating good food. And while my left leg is messed up, the rest of my body feels inc- like so much better because I'm not mm. walking and I'm resting. And so a part of me wanted to stay hurt mm. because I was getting so much attention and love and actual fame. I was getting more famous for being hurt. Mm. And the rest of my life before this had all been about being more famous. Like that was my job before, like make, get more famous. That was, yeah. it was like a full-time thing. And so all these gears start to turn and, and subconsciously, I don't want to get better. Mm. I want to stay there. And I want to, I want to, cause it feels good. The food's better. It's air conditioned. <laughs> <The food's better. laughs> Dude, I'm like, I'm, I'm at home and like I'm in air conditioning. I sleep in a real bed and, and I'm getting all this attention. Yeah. When I realized I'm not done. And, and while this voice is like talking in my head, I say, yo, stay here, milk this. I'm going, I'm, I'm getting better. And I start to be able to walk to the bathroom and then I'm able to walk to the mailbox and then I'm able to walk down the street. And I got to the point where I could walk five, six miles. And I thought, you know, most people probably wouldn't even consider me a quitter if I quit. This would just be a cool story with a badass ending. And I have the best reason to quit of all time. I was bit by a poisonous snake. This is like the gold standard of reasons to give something up. Yeah. And most people wouldn't would wouldn't think I was a quitter. No. But That's I wasn't true. doing it for most people. I wasn't doing it for most people. And I thought I went back to what if? I'm like, what if what if I went back? And finished. And and that that image of like the superhero version of me, the image of like the guy who actually pulled this off, the guy I would think, who's my hero? That guy who's like inspiring to me, it came back. And, and I got my butt on a plane. I flew back to Colorado. I went back to the exact spot that the snake bit me. And I took a step. Hmm. And I kept taking steps until I went up and over the Rocky Mountains. And when I did that, I started to dream bigger dreams. I started to think about Mount Everest. And that dream started to seem kind of less like a dream and more like a plan. Mm. And I kept taking steps until I walked across Colorado and the Navajo Nation and Arizona and the hard times weren't done. But, and, and Drew, it's really interesting because as I continued to go across Arizona, across Nevada, the pain increased linearly. Mm. Every day from the beginning of the walk to the end, the pain got a little worse every day. Not exponentially, linearly. It mm. increased every day. But an interesting thing happened, and especially after the snake bite, which was my awareness, my consciousness expanded, not linearly, exponentially. And so while the pain got worse and worse and worse every day, the amount of mental, spiritual, emotional bandwidth that that pain took up was a smaller percentage of who I was. And I cared less and less about the pain every day, even as it increased. And so by the time I crossed from Nevada into California and I start receiving premature congratulations from my friends, going, you made it to California. I go, what the fuck are you talking about? I made it. I'm here to walk to the ocean. California is 300 miles wide. There's the Mojave Desert and there's a mountain range in between and there's rattlesnakes everywhere. Yep, yeah. I didn't make it. 
And this was internal dialogue. I had to get nasty with myself. Yeah. So I didn't write that back to him. But that's what I'm saying. Like these people, they they're so far removed from the world that I'm now in. These people from, who are still in the studio, like they they have no idea. They think that like that that this congratulations even matters to me. It's nice, I get, but the the trophy from who I have become on this journey is so far removed from anything they can comprehend. Like they're going, congratulations, you made like <laughs> it was a it was a mark of success to me by how because I used to be that how much they just di- didn't get it. And I, 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 I kept going. I walked across the Mojave Desert. I walked into LA. The Hollywood sign was on my right. I kept going until the pavement turned into sand. And after walking six months and three days, 2,851 miles, I dove. I sprinted. And I dove face first into the Pacific Ocean. Amazing. And and having and now how long ago was all that? Like when when it was Everest achieved? How long ago? The walk across America was completed October eighteenth, twenty nineteen. And then Everest. Everest is funny. The next day, the day after completing a mission like this is really important. It's really important because. My body was really hurt, as I told you earlier. I needed to rest. I stand, I stand up like, like I had a nine-year-old arthritic person. But I needed my spirit and my mind to know that this diving in the ocean is not an end. It's a beginning. And so I have a friend that runs a boxing gym. In L.A. where I finished the walk, I said, hey, can you meet me at 4.30 tomorrow? Because I want to hit mitts. I want to work out. I want to train. I needed to rest. My body needed to rest. But my spirit and my mind needed to know this is just the beginning. So I went the next day. I went to that box gym and I trained. Now, two weeks later, it's not like I went unpack my bags. I climbed my first mountain. Mount Everest, we compressed that story. It was a year and a half of training. Yeah. But I, I was I was able to make the summit and more importantly, make it back down because the summit is only halfway mm. on June 1st, 2021. And then, and so here we are now. And ha, what what are you doing? How does this change your life? What are you doing? It's, you know, it's sort of all this tremendous achievement. I, I, I'm fascinated. How, what, how do you go forward? What do you go forward with? It's incredible. Well, uh, you know, the old proverb mm. before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water after enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Yeah. So I'm working on a lot of projects. Some of them are physical, some of them are artistic, some of them, but the trophy of these projects in particular is in here, here. So, and so here, would you call and, them creative? So you, you, you've just jumped into the the creating things. When if I if I tell you like what I'm working on now, it's not too dissimilar from what I was working on five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm putting an album out next year. It's almost done. I'm writing a book. Like I am. Uh, <laughs> thinking about doing another adventure this summer. Uh-oh. I am like, I'm like creating like the, it's not, it's not the what it's the how uh. I'm a different man. Now. And it's, so anything that, that, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Cause you, you're in it, you know, you, you live it now, right? Absolutely. You are it. It's fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not like Everest is, Everest is interesting, right? Because it's so dangerous. Mm. And you're walking over the bodies of people who were alive two weeks before, who had the same dream as you, and they're not here anymore. Uh. And so 
my duty and my calling and my honor has always been for the last 10 years since I've been on this odyssey of asking, if not that, then what has been to go search, dip a toe in the unknown, capital U, and report back what I find. And so there's a tension in my life, a healthy tension. And one of those, the, the, the tension is, I have one force that's pulling me towards growing and searching and discovering more. And then I have another force that is me that needs to share what I've learned. Yeah, I was going to so, say that that's really important. Are you talking to young people? Yeah. yeah. And I'm writing my first book. My first book's just about the walk. Do, do, you, know, you, go, do you go and talk to groups of people, young people? Do you give lectures? Yeah. I do some. I've I've done some speaking at, at colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with um, sports teams. I work with the San Francisco 49ers and the Duke men's basketball team. Um, I just think young people, even high school age, need to hear you talk about it. Because let's go, me and you, let's go on tour. <laughs> I'll do it. I'm I'm in <laughs> because I, I'm very concerned about the the kinds of things that we turn away from that you leaned into. And Absolutely. Uh, I think it's very important. And so I, I'm, uh, as you see, I'm fascinated. Thank you. I think the earlier, the better, you know, I'm come from the Jewish lineage and we have the bar mitzvah, mm. which is you're 13. You're supposed to become a man. And in the Bible, there's no teenagers. There are children and adults. Yep. And in so many like, uh, indigenous cultures they have these real rites of passages yeah our rites of passages have become facsimile for actual rites of passages like they're they're not and so what i realized like i was 31 when i'm doing these projects and i had it backwards this is like what i should have been doing when i was 13 or some version of it (laughs) you know i i i push back on that a little bit in the sense that you know, when you, we, we, we're a more complicated culture and we got it, you got to get through high school and you got to go through some colleges that so we need, we need to do all that too, but we do need these, sure. we do need these challenges. We really do. I, 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 agree. I agree with you. Uh, perhaps, you know, it is more nuanced than I was making it out to be, but from my personal experience, I was, I was a 30 year old, but I really didn't feel like a man. No, I, there's a lot of people like that now. You're not alone. That's a common, I know I'm not noticing it. I'm noticing it. I'm I'm worrying about it. I'm in a city full of them. And so, and and the, the funny thing is when you meet someone who, who is like an adult, you feel it and you feel insecure and you kind of know, like, what's the difference between me and them? Well, they did something hard probably. And 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 overcame it, and yeah. so the the gift of my life before this point was it had all gone so great. Yeah, yeah. I got to this great school. I before I even was out of school, I was already becoming famous, making us money. And while there were certainly challenges, like I needed something hard. I knew to uncover. You did it. I knew I knew there was more. I knew there was more inside me. And the only way to get to it wasn't by wasn't by making my life more luxurious. Right. Or success or or slightly tweaking what car I was driving or where my song was on the chart. It was by making my life less comfortable, less luxurious. Yeah. And here we are. Well, Mike, we, we've, we've coasted to the end of our little time here and I, it has been a privilege and a pleasure and I appreciate you sharing your story and I, I, sign me up for you want to go out and on the road and do stuff and talk about stuff it would be really interesting to, uh, or even to, you know, if you have questions about, I don't know if I can add anything to your book or whatever, I, I'm, I'm all about it. So I just, I think there's something here that uh, people really need to hear. And for Thank some you. reason for me too, um, I don't know that snake bite story is a pretty dramatic piece of this and uh, d- dig into that further. Some, there's some deep wisdom in that whole experience, <laughs> like, wisdom of the North American Indian or something, even because you were in that territory. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was, sort of, it was, you know, is something, I, I don't know. There's something profound I suspect in there as you think about it, but uh, listen, my friend, I hope you won't be a stranger and uh, we're, do you want people to go anywhere in particular to, to see your stuff or to wait for that book? 
Oh, I'm on like all the all the places just under my name. Um, so you can follow me at all the the normal social places. Also, you can follow me on Spotify. All right, follow there you me. go. Because that's that's the real. You really want to know, Mike? Listen to the music. Listen to the album. All right, Mike. See you soon, I hope. All right, and everybody will see you next time. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Pluto TV. Unravel the mysteries on shows like CSI and Criminal Minds, or follow the clues in Blue Bloods and NCIS. With thousands of free crime movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is the true home of crime. Download the Pluto TV app and start streaming now on live channels and on demand. You better run for your life. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.